Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hi there, podcast fans, and welcome to Total Football. On today's episode, we wave a tearful farewell to Marco Silva, surprisingly shown the exit door by Watford after the most dramatic head-turning incident since that frightening scene from The Exorcist. There was some 2018 duck-breaking for Arsenal and Chelsea, both scoring four in their first wins of the calendar year, and three points banked by Manchester City and United in a weekend of business as usual in the top six. We'll head to Manchester to hear about the imminent arrival of a certain Chilean and the departure of a certain Armenian. James Ducker gives us his verdict on who came out on top of the swap, plus a chat with a former England women's captain on whether or not Phil Neville is the right person to lead the Lionesses. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by video game royalty. It's the director of football manager, Miles Jacobson. Miles, how are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Um, dealing with, with Marco leaving, being a, a Watford supporter, I, I go home and away. There I was expecting to be working on features for FM19 and instead I've just been arguing with people on Twitter. <laughs> well, a very fortuitous day for you to be with us here on Total Football. Uh, Watford, of course, a club very close to your heart. Were you surprised by the news that broke on Sunday that Marco Silva was out at Vicarage Road? I wasn't that surprised because I had an idea last night. But if, if you look at what's gone over the last few months since Everton came in for him, our form has been awful. Um, yes, we've had a lot of injuries and that hasn't really been mentioned much today. We do have 10 players out at the moment. But you also have to look at some of the the tropes that have happened in the last few weeks. Um, there have been certain players who've been, despite our injuries, who've still been stuck in the stands and on the bench. Players like Etienne Capu, Jose Holabas, um, Isaac Success hasn't been around either, um, Sebastian Prudel. But we've also had situations like um, if you take the Southampton game where in the first half we were awful, in the second half we switched to 4 2 were much, much better. And yet we start the Leicester game back with one up top. Um, another trope over the last few weeks is if a Watford player scores, they tend to not play the next week. So, you know, Andre Gray hasn't looked that confident when he's been playing, but he scores a goal, builds his confidence and the next week he's on the bench again. What, what could he possibly be doing there? Why would he do that? I don't know. Um, and, you know it could be that he, he has been looking at each individual match and deciding that the 4-3-3 has been the best formation for that game. Um, 
but it just seems a bit strange. I've, I've always thought, particularly with strikers, that confidence is quite an important part of their game. So, um, so when they score a goal, that should give them more confidence. So we've seen that happening over the last few weeks. And I think when when the club statement today spoke about the the players, the, the manager's focus, I think that's what one of the things that they might have have been talking about is if you're properly focused, surely. If I'm, as a supporter, noticing these things, surely the head coaches as well. But it's it's a difficult one because I really wanted Marco to come in. Um, I'd been calling for him to come in, not just this season, but the season before, when we brought in Walter Mazzari, before he'd been at Hull, I was calling for him to come in. He's still a great young coach, but you just have to look at the form before and after and see that there is probably some logic in what the club have said today that they feel that his focus was elsewhere because how else do you explain such a turnaround in form and league position wise we're looking great right we're 10th in the league except a few weeks ago we were ninth or 10th in the league with a gap of eight or nine points and now if we lose to Stoke and some other teams win, we drop to 17th in the table, although Stoke have to beat us by seven goals for that to happen. So when when you take everything actually a bit more in context rather than just looking at the raw number, it makes a lot of sense to me to make the move now. You're at the Leicester game on Saturday. Pretty desperate stuff from what for they look like they just were ran all over by uh, Claude Puel's. Yeah, well, ma- match, that- match of the day showed that. That wasn't actually how it was. So um, <laughs> yeah, I must confess, I wasn't at the Leicester game and did watch it on match of the day. So, despite what I've just said about it was weird that we went with that formation in the first half against Leicester, we actually looked all right. Um, Didn't feel like a particularly low point then that, that something needed to be done afterwards. No, Huddersfield at home felt like the, the low point. Um, Brighton away felt like a low point. The teams that we've been losing to have been Stoke, Huddersfield, Brighton, those teams that are below us that we should be looking to beat with no disrespect to them. Um, Huddersfield annihilated us. That was 4-1. Interesting to hear you still rate him as an outstanding young coach. But if you look back at his whole record, they actually went down further off safety than they were when he arrived. It feels like we had the wall pulled over our eyes slightly with him. Like, what, what, what are you pointing to when you say he's still an outstanding young coach? I think that on the training ground, from what the players have told me, he is an excellent coach. I do think that if you look a little bit further to that, um, again, things that I've, I've spoken about, about certain players being in the stand, whether he's a great man-manager... I don't know. I've never had him man manage me, but there were certainly some players at Watford that seemed to have been have been moved out, and some of the tactical choices and some of the substitution choices as well have been a little bit strange. With again, I bring I bring Etienne Capou. He's he's been one of our best players over the last couple of seasons, and hasn't been getting anywhere near the team. But training ground wise, apparently he's excellent. And he is still only young, so the other stuff will still come. And it, it, it's going to be weird saying this because I've been dealing with people accusing Watford of being short-term the whole day and there's this stuff about how we've had 10 coaches in five years, which is, one, not true. And secondly, you actually have to look a little bit deeper. Yeah, some of out, out of their control. Yeah, Marco, by allowing himself to get embroiled in the whole Everton thing, Showed that maybe he's a little bit short term. 
in his thinking. Javi Gracia is the man who's been named in his place. What do you know about him? That tactically he's actually quite similar to Marco in the way that he likes to play 4-3-3 counter-attacking um, football. He had a very, very good reputation in Spain, um, very tactical, tactically savvy, um, according to people in Spain, did very well at Malaga, who, like Watford, are a relatively small club who often bat above their weight. He's beaten Barcelona. Anyone who's beaten Barcelona is all right by me. Um, didn't have a great spell at Ruben Kazan. Um, but again, according to reports that I've had back today from there, he maybe didn't understand the culture as well in Russia. And the culture there is very different to uh, to the culture in Europe. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Again, it's the great thing about the the trio that, that head up the club is that they are always thinking about the future. They will have had him on the list of people to replace in 18 months and they're making the move now. They've probably got the next two or three head coaches already in a notebook somewhere along with the players that they want to bring in next summer and next winter. Um, we are a very organised club but we are also one who are quite agile with the way that we can do things. Moving on to the rest of the Premier League, it was Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1 at Ashburton Grove. Game really over in the first 13 minutes and brutal defending from corners for Palace. How do you get something ostensibly so simple quite as badly wrong as Palace did on Saturday? You don't practice it. You don't watch for from the left-back running in. You expect the left-back is either going to stay back on the centre circle or they're going to be on the edge of the box, not running in to win headers. Um, Monreal, however, is a, is a bit of a pain for defenders when he's running into the box. Um, so, yeah, they did get two goals from headers, but um, particularly one of the goals is absolutely brilliant, vintage Arsenal. You know, those, those what, about 700 passes <laughs> in the space of 30 seconds? The sort of goal which Arsene Wenger just must feel vindicates his entire existence. But there were loads of those in the Premier League yesterday. It wasn't just Arsenal doing it. A bunch of other clubs were, were trying it as well. Um, but in the second half, Palace actually came back quite well and Arsenal's defending looked a little bit suspect at points in the second half. Shock horror. Yeah, but um, but yes, a great a great win for Arsenal and definitely in the week that they haven't lost Alexis Sanchez, but they have lost Alexis Sanchez. Being able to do that shows that maybe he won't be missed as much as people thought. But, um, but Meza Ozil, what a performance. So he will be really... It goes straight from Alexis Sanchez will be badly missed to, you know, wow if Ozil leaves as well. Interested in how Roy Hodgson is motivating his team at the moment because they've pulled clear of the relegation zone. I'm wondering if it might be slightly more difficult to, to stress the urgency of winning these games to this place. Team talks, of course, a very big deal in football manager. How important do you think they are to uh, managers oh, in the huge. Premier League? Absolutely huge. Um, yes, Palace have got themselves out of trouble position-wise. Points-wise, that bottom, you know, the bottom 11 in the Premier League. I've never even heard the phrase the bottom 11 You've before. coined it. But the bottom 11 can all... Go down. You know, we are 10th. What for the 10th? We're in a relegation battle. Everyone around there is in a relegation battle. I've never seen it. Never seen the table so tight before. Um, if Swansea lose another one, then maybe maybe that's one space gone. But a few weeks ago, oh, Stoke are gone. Swansea are gone. Now, 
everyone's looking over their shoulders. One of the teams in that jumbo-sized relegation battle are Newcastle United, lost 3-1 to Manchester City on Saturday. This was a, a very defensive game for Newcastle United. You got the sense they were trying to keep the score down and that may turn out to be quite important for them. They did score a goal on the breakaway. It looked very, very easy for them against City. Do they have some work to do defensively, City, before the Champions League resumes? Um, I think that they are likely looking at another centre-back at the moment. But yes, there was a moment of, of madness, a moment where their concentration dropped. But their concentration probably dropped because they were having such a good time attacking. <laughs> it, was, it was more like a five-a-side game for most of it. Um, again, some wonderful football being played. Sane, what a beautiful player. It's, it's like watching a ballerina with the football. The way that he was skipping through everyone and then his pass to Aguero. Um, there were a number of contenders for goal of the season yesterday. I'm, I don't see goals of the season being an individual strike from the edge of the area. For me, it's about team goals. That's just a personal bias. And there were lots of those yesterday. So yes, I think defensively they need to work on some stuff. But then Guardiola's teams have never been defensively Based. You know, he plays fullbacks as defensive midfielders who then cut back a little bit. He plays a sweeper keeper um, who is definitely sweeping rather than keeping for the, for the goal. Um, but as long as they score more goals than the other team, then it doesn't really matter. So, yes, it was easy for Newcastle to score in that breakaway, but um, I worry for Newcastle. I've seen every team this season in a live game as well as all the stuff on the telly, and, and they were the worst team that I've seen this season live. So I hope they can turn it around because their supporters deserve a lot more than they're getting at the moment. They've got an amazingly passionate fan base. It's a brilliant place for, a, for away fans to go and visit as well. Long old walk though, isn't it? It is a long walk, but you know, um, it's a long walk with lovely people. Good, I was, good I was, exercise getting up those stairs. I was stopping having chats with people on the way back to the, to the station just because an amazing accent for a start, to talk, for people to talk to. But they're also so passionate about football that you can always have a great conversation. That's the same with all of the Northeastern um, clubs, to be fair. The fans deserve more. Hopefully they'll get it, whether it be with Mike Ashley Stallone in the club or whether there's a quick, a quick takeover. I hope they can turn it around. One of those goal of the season contenders at Fulmer where Brighton lost 4-0 to Chelsea. The Willian goal, really, if anything Arsenal can do, we can do better. Just a, an incredible passing move. Does that suggest slightly suspect defending from Brighton or is there anything anyone could have done about that? The speed of the passing was, was almost too much to follow on telly, let alone in person. I think William and Azard yesterday were absolutely unplayable. They, they were both magnificent throughout the whole game. So with Brighton, they've come up from the championship. They've uh, largely kept the same kind of defence there. So they were, they were always going to struggle against those teams. But to be honest, Brighton don't need to win the games against Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool. They, they need to do what they did against Watford, getting the 1-0 win against more of the teams that are, that are down um, down below. They've also just broken their record signing with uh, signing a new striker. Um, I believe they're still in trying to get Moussa Dembele along with six other Premier League clubs and some clubs abroad as well. Celtics Moussa Dembele, of course. Yes. But um, so they're, they're still active. They're still trying to do things. Um, but yeah, you can't, you can't defend against that. How, how can you, apart from picking the player up and throwing him over your shoulder? Perhaps by Peter Crouch and put him in the middle of the defence. That's possibly the unexpected solution for Antonio Conte. 
1-0 victory for Manchester United away at Burnley. Some quite poor decisions in promising areas for United when they were going forward. It could have been a little bit easier for them, but they're grinding out the wins, aren't they, United? Against a team like Burnley, you've given a lot of teams problems this year. Do we forget how hard that can be sometimes? Any Sean Dyche team is going to work incredibly hard because, let's be honest, all of his players are scared of him. I've known Sean for a long time. I've had hugs from the great man and I'm scared every time I get a, every time I get a hug or shake his hand, I'm scared I'm going to break something. So, Have you um, ever seen him eat a worm? I haven't seen him eat a worm, no. Um, I haven't even seen him eat pasta, so who, who knows whether that was true. He claims it wasn't. So the, the Burnley team work really, really hard. Great work ethic. Um, batting above their weight with, with a, a fantastic coach. Um, who really knows how to get the best out of his players. United United were having a lot of fun yesterday. They were trying a few different things. Um, yes, it didn't always go right for Anthony Martial, but he really is turning into the kind of player that, that we certainly believed that he was going to become because uh, we had him with very high potential at a very young age um, in football manager. At least they were going forward, which isn't something you necessarily have expected from a Mourinho team. Um, in the last in the last couple of months, so they are pushing forward. They're going for it. But actually, Young had a good game yesterday. He was back from um, back from suspension, and he he did really well. So they're still looking strong. But City are so far ahead of everyone else. A win for Paul Lambert in his first game up at Stoke City. The epitome of what you would call a tracksuit manager on Football Manager. And he was actually wearing a very, very nice tracksuit. Was it a Saturday. tracksuit or a shell suit? Because I didn't see what he was wearing. Oh, that's a good question. You see, I, I think that I think the lines are blurred a little bit now, haven't they? I think okay. you have a tracksuit, which you might have called a shell suit in nice I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I don't know about these things anymore. Right, well, I'll refer that to the uh, Telegraph's fashion podcast. Cross-promotion. <laughs> uh Things have turned really toxic for Mark Hughes at Stoke. Is there any coming back from that as a manager? Uh, Mark Hughes will be in a new job by the end of the season. Well, not at Watford then. No, I think um, I, I don't think that he will end up at a Premier League club as his next move. I think he'll probably end up at, at a Championship club and probably do pretty well with him. You know, he's he's been at Stoke for a long time and. Despite the fact that uh, the Stoke board, Peter Coates, is incredibly loyal to his managers, I think it had gone too far with the supporter um, the supporter feeling towards him. So, yeah, he probably had to go. I don't think Paul Lambert, well, we all know Paul Lambert wasn't their first choice, was he? So, But he's gone in there, he's the man now, and he's got them a win. So hopefully that can get the, the supporters back on side again. But yeah, I, I do believe that Mark Hughes will will get another job at a very good level and will probably be managing again in the Premier League within one or two seasons. Finally, we should just mention the tributes for Cyril Regis over the weekend, particularly poignant at Goodison Park where West Brom drew one all with Everton. Frightening injury for James McCarthy in that match. Uh, but it, it was also a quiet debut for Theo Walcott, Cenk Tossen, not really doing much yet in an Everton shirt. How concerned would you be if you were a Toffees fan? Well, Theo got an assist. so Not much else, though. Come yeah, on. Yeah, OK, but but he's still got an assist. And if he's there to score goals or set them up, then, then he still did that. And yes, Everton were a bit quiet yesterday. It's going to take um, a bit of time. I think that Southampton are absolutely gutted that Theo went to Everton rather than there. But Sam Allardyce has been someone who's who was pretty good, who's been good to, to Theo, I guess, over the years. 
it will take any player moving over from other divisions time to get used to the game in the Premier League. We've seen that time and time and time again. So Tosin, it will probably take a, a, a bit of time for, for him to get used to it. If I was an Everton fan, I'd be absolutely delighted at the moment, given where you were. Ten, given given where you were when you tried to poach Watford's manager, because um, you're in real trouble then. So, um, so they've pulled out of that now. They're they're out of that relegation pack. Um, I don't think they're going to catch Arsenal this season, but they're they're building something there for the future. They have so many great young players there looking to come through. They're not scared to drop Rooney because yesterday he was on the bench and his pass for the goal was absolutely sublime. But whether he can still do it for 90 minutes every game, only the coaches up there know really. So so I don't fear for Everton, but if Everton wanted top four this season, then they're going to be bitterly disappointed. The dream may well be over. We threw open our metaphorical arms on Twitter to get some questions for you, Miles. Let's let's get into a few of those. This is from Richie James, who asks, was there a specific moment when you realised that Football Manager had stopped being a gaming product and become a football product? There were a few points when that happened. So the first time it occurred to us was when Andre Velas-Boas was Jose Mourinho's chief scout at Chelsea and said in an interview in a in a rival but local rather than national newspaper to yours that um, he used our game as one of his scouting methods. And we hadn't really thought before that anyone in football took us that seriously. And then we did a database deal with Everton and realised that people were taking it seriously because they'd already been using it, even though it was against our terms and conditions um, as part of that. So... We started pushing that angle, if you like, about five or six years ago. We made a coordinated decision inside the studio to no longer think of ourselves as making a video game, but think that we are a football game that is part of the football industry. It was probably five or six years ago. And now, you know, we, we're asked to talk at football conferences the whole time. We have a bunch of clients under non-disclosure agreements who license our data from us. We have 1,300 scouts worldwide. Because of that, we now have, I believe, unrivaled access to people inside football. So there are various clubs um, that I can call up the day before and say, look, I'm in the area tomorrow. Is there any chance I can come to training in the morning? And they go, yes. Sure, it's not. It's very rare that I get turned down for that unless there's a valid reason. And going in there, you're talking to the players, you're talking to the coach. We have about 1,700 footballers who, who alpha test the game now. So before, before we even beta test, we have people playing the game, giving us feedback, who are footballers, who are coaches, who are people who work in the game. Um, What's the, the highest level they go up to? People who've been in the Ballon d'Or top three. So uh, I'm not saying any more than that because we don't have commercial deals with any of them. The the French team, um, when when the French international team are away, they have cameras that follow that follow the French team around um, and are on the plane when they're going from venue to venue and they're filming them. And um, Paul Pogba to Chelsea became a story because he was playing Chelsea in Football Manager on the plane and signed himself. Um, <laughs> So he's a big player. Um, Griezmann has sent Instagrams of himself playing the game, um, you know, from very, very high levels through to non-league players who are just as important 
playing it from our perspective for the feedback that we get to the top players. This is a question from JJ Ball, who is not from Twitter. He is on Twitter, but he's also in the office and asked this to <laughs> me. Uh, are there... Favouritism. <laughs> exactly. Are there players who you know are massively underperforming in real life based on their football manager stats? Yes. But there, there are always players that are underperforming in real life. The one, the one thing that's a real problem for us, and, and it's the problem for anyone who's trying to make a simulation, is actually the mental side of the game and also the side of the game that we don't know, which is the personal life side of the game. So there are footballers who like to go clubbing and aren't necessarily concentrating as much on their football as they could be. And those are the players that often have all the talent in the world but maybe don't reach that potential and are throwing their careers away and I really wish they'd stop because it's unfair on those of us who are rubbish at football and don't have their talent but would have worked harder. But I'm sure they're frustrating their managers and the clubs who pay them a lot more. <laughs> this is from Andrew James at Hate Mail on Twitter. Mail spelt M-A-L-E. Very nicely done, Andrew. On player attributes, it's fairly obvious that finishing can be easily judged by goals scored, chances converted. But how do you go about deciding the less quantifiable stats like leadership and determination? So our research guidelines um, are a 250-page book that gets sent to all of our researchers that goes into a lot of the details on this. And something like leadership, you actually can see. But you can only see leadership if you're literally watching a player like player cam. So you have to watch each player and look at what they're doing when they're not on the ball as well as when they're on the ball. Um, also, a lot of our researchers are able to speak to some of the players or some of the people who work at the club. So you know a lot about what happens behind the scenes because we're quantifying it in numbers rather than quantifying it in words. So people might be more prepared to talk to us sometimes about things like that. So bravery is one of the hardest of all the stats to do. Um, but none of those are harder than the, than the hidden stats that you don't get to see, the things like sportsmanship and, and those mental stats. Those are really hard. But we've, we've got a great team of researchers around the world and some of them have been with us for 20-plus for years. Some of our head researchers have actually become chief scouts at Champions League clubs whilst working with us and are still working with us. So, um, so we think they know what they're doing. But, but he's absolutely right that some data is harder to, uh, to research than others. This from Harry English on Twitter. Do you ever think about how championship manager, stroke football manager, has changed football or at least the way most fans view things? In a, in a, few, yeah, in a few ways, yeah. I mean, stats, uh, stats didn't really exist before we and, and Sky, really, and then Opta came along. But Opta claim that they set up based on their love of stats in our games. So, so we must have come before them. Um also, I mean, managers tell me regularly there there are certain managers, particularly the old school managers, who absolutely hate my games because there are football fans out there who know a lot more about footballers than the managers do because they're playing this game and they're seeing these players around the world, whereas the managers don't necessarily care that much about who's doing well in the Russian second division. We are only football fans. You presenting this podcast is only a football fan. Um, most of the best managers in the world at the moment are only football fans. Um, there's a lot more that you can learn now thanks to the internet, thanks to games like ours, thanks to podcasts like this. 
you can learn a lot more about the game than we could when I was growing up and you were lucky to have a game on the TV every two or three weeks when I was a lad. <laughs> but, um, you know, football's everywhere now, so people are going to be more knowledgeable. And I'm proud of the fact that we've been part of that revolution. Final question is from me. If you took an absolutely amazing football manager player and gave them the Watford job and they had a really, really cracking coaching staff around them, Gave it to them to the end of the season. How do you think they'd get on? I think that to get the respect of the players, they would need to have their coaching badges up to UEFA and be able to talk about more than just data. So I do believe, and it is the case, that very good football manager players could become directors of football and could become chief scouts and work in the data analyst departments, as has happened all over the world. It's a very important thing to have on your CV. But actually being the head coach, I think you need a little bit more real-world experience um, for that. But the Cowley brothers aren't doing that badly. And, you know, they claim that they grew up playing the game and, and their mum used to tell them to stop playing it and go and do their homework. And they were able to say to their mum recently, see, mum, it was homework. A lesson for you, kids. Do not listen to your mothers. I didn't say that. <laughs> Alexi Sanchez may be a Manchester United player by the time this MP3 reaches your ears, but we're recording this on a Sunday night with a deal still yet to formally go through. Nevertheless, our Manchester football correspondent James Ducker is with us. James, how much do United need Sanchez? I, I think they definitely need him. I think there's, I think they've got a, a sort of an interesting array of players in attack, um, but I still think there's you know a piece or two that's been missing and. You look at Sanchez's skill set, um, you know, tremendous sort of energy, brilliant pressing and harassing and haranguing opponents, blistering pace. I think, crucially, a very, very sort of keen eye for goal. And uh, I mean, Martial's coming, uh, chipping in with the goals, but I still think that the that attack can be a bit wasteful. So Sanchez will certainly, you know, improve um, it in that respect. And also, sheer pace, Tom, I think, you know, he 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 will bring blistering sort of pace, and I think the way Jose plays, you know, often often sort of on the transition, particularly in the bigger games. You know, Sanchez, I think, is sort of ide- ideally suited to that. I mean, I definitely add some spark up front, uh, a bit of sort of X factor, which I think at times is missing. Pogba's brought that, but they could still do with more of it. I think. It, it really adds something, an extra dimension to the attack, not least because what it might do in terms of bringing more out of the others, Lukaku especially. You would assume that Sanchez is an immediate starter for United. What system will they play and who will make way for him? I don't think the system will change sort of overly. I mean, he he, he sort of favours sort of 4 2 three, one. At times it's 4 one, four, one. Sometimes it's even 4 three, three. Um, I think... I think you'll see him play, you know, right over three with Lukaku up front and then a, you know, a Lingard type maybe central and uh, Martial or Rashford left, Pogba and Matic sort of behind. I think in, I think in games where he wants more solidity in midfield, that might be a bit a bit different. But and equally as well, if he wants to give um, Lukaku a rest, I think he's got um, a greater option now. Uh, at centre forward in Sanchez, I think he, you know, he, he can lead the line. And Marina's been very reluctant, really, to to play without Lukaku. And obviously, Ibrahimovic is 
not due back in training until the start of February at the earliest. Matter, you think logically is the one who's going to drop out on the right unless he 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 now gets a, a chance at number ten, and I just don't really see that. He's he's done it fleetingly, Mourinho, and I don't think he trusts Matter as a number ten. Poor old Matter, not the first time he's been dropped by Mourinho, is it? No, he's not. But he, I mean, he might equally he he might feel, and I mean, there are obviously longer to, there are issues about. Matter's long-term future. I don't expect he'll be there long, long-term under Mourinho. But he might feel with Sanchez there and Lukaku in Martial that actually um, it, it, it would then be better suited to Matter being played in the middle because there's there's a lot more pace and mobility around him, and he might be able to utilise that to, to good effect with Sanchez's arrival. The interesting thing about this deal is it's that uh, format of transfer that's beloved of less prestigious news organisations than our own, James. The swap deal, which you actually very rarely see happen. How has that come about? McTorian going the other way, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> we've talked, I think we've all talked about swap deals in an enormous amount in the past. I think sometimes it's sort of an easy way of phrasing something, even, you know, if the intricacies of it are sort of explained further down in, in, in copy. But an unusual situation, absolutely. I think we could. I think Arsenal have um, have looked at the situation, realised that they are going to be losing a fair number of players, and thought, can we take one of United that would fit the sort of prototype of the player that we want? And often that does not work out for you know any number of reasons, not least the wishes of the player, but. Mkhitaryan for some time has realised he's he's pretty far down the pecking order at Old Trafford. They paid what just over twenty five million pounds for him. United sort of valued him in the region of thirty five million. That was pretty much what Arsenal valued at uh, Sanchez at, and and I think it was one of those rare occasions when there was a sort of an aligning of stars. And let, let's not overlook the fact either that Arsenal tried to sign Mkhitaryan from Dortmund only for the player to choose United. And do we think Sanchez will be the last player to arrive at Old Trafford this window? Anything uh, on the radar at Man City as well? I think, yeah, I think the, he'll be the last player to arrive in uh, in this window at Old Trafford. Uh, I mean, you might get a, you might get uh, someone like Twan be going out on loan and you might get a, a 16, 17-year-old, uh, you know, player sort of signed. But um, no, in terms of a, a player coming for the, for the senior squad, no. I expect, I expect in the summer if Fellaini uh, leaves uh, and Carrick retires, Carrick will retire. But if Fellaini also leaves, it'll be uh, probably two midfielders he'll be looking at in the summer, and I think fullback as well. City absolutely want centre half. Um, have had talks with uh, West Bromwich Albion over Johnny Evans. That situation's still live. There are obstacles. You know, I don't think it's as clear cut as that this is guaranteed to happen. I think there are obstacles. Uh, you know, it's likely they'll be overcome, but you know, we, we thought it was likely Sanchez was going to join City, and he hasn't. They are uh, in talks with Shakhtar Donetsk over a Brazilian midfielder called Fred. They want a um, sort of a high quality defensive midfielder in uh, for the start of the summer. Uh, Fernandino will be 33 in May. He's just signed a new two-year contract extension, but they are overly dependent on him in that position. Yaya Torre will leave when his contract expires at the end of the season. So uh, Guardiola has made a defensive midfielder an absolute priority, and they are hoping to get a deal done for Fred sooner rather than later. Again, in the summer, I think, They'll probably look to sign another centre-half, even if they get Evans or another in 
this 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 window, and then you will also see a striker coming in. Obviously, you know so they didn't get Sanchez, but they are still actively looking in that department. So. Busy, busy, really, at both clubs. Excessive, if anything, from City. They certainly don't need any more new players. James, thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, Tom. Thanks very much. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. England's women have been without a manager since the exit of Mark Sampson last September. Phil Neville now looks like the unlikely leading candidate for the job. Former England captain Faye White joins us now. Faye, is Phil Neville qualified for this role? Um, Obviously, I think there's been questions about his amount of managerial experience. I think he's had a couple of um, stints in as an assistant coach, hasn't he? But I think the, the landscape of certainly what the next manager is going to need to be able to handle has changed um, purely over what the last three, four years as far as like the media scrutiny and expectation um, from them as well as obviously the women's football community. And I think he could argue there are probably more qualified coaches in the women's game that know about the women's game more than what Field will. But one thing I think he will have, um, perhaps, is the ability to handle the pressure and the, the media kind of side of things, certainly from his playing days and you know the level that he's played at in the men's game. So perhaps on that side, maybe that, I would argue, is possibly a plus for him. But yeah, when I first heard it, that he might be in, in line for it, it was a bit of a shock. But equally, I think shows how far the women's game has kind of progressed as well. To what extent does experience in the men's game translate into the women's game if you're a coach? Well, I think just from a player's view, I'd look at it as that he'll obviously get instant respect from the players uh, that he'll be coaching because of what he has achieved. The fact that he's, you know, arguably learned off one of the best managers in the, the men's game at Man United and Alex Ferguson. Um, as, and as a player, if he'd walked into my dressing room, I'd be quite, you know, excited about, you know, knowing that he might he's got all that experience to draw on. But yeah, obviously, it's, it's, they'll quickly decide as well as players like you do with any new manager is, is how they can uh, translate that ability as a player, but to, into motivating and putting those messages across to painting the pictures for players in their coaching and getting the players to do as, as they, you know, they want them to do and making them understand what his philosophies are, I suppose. But certainly, they'll, they'll, it's the motivational side, isn't it? It's getting the best out of people. And that's what that you would argue is the thing that he's going to have to learn, having not had much manager experience and probably he'll have to learn start to know a lot about the, the players and how the how it kind of works within the, the ladies game and how their motivations might be very different to what he's used to in the men's game and perhaps he'll need some, some assistance with that I think but as a player as well it'll be you could argue that he's going to have a very fresh pair of eyes there's no preconceived thoughts about you know certain clubs that he's or players that he's seen play for years, having managed them before at club level, like you, you might have argued that you know another coach that's coached that club in the women's game, then comes in with those preconceived ideas. So they might think it's a bit of a fresh start. You can certainly understand why the FA might want a fresh start in light of everything that's happened with the women's team. The debate about the men's England coach is often about his nationality. Is there much worry among people you've spoken to about Phil Neville's gender? Um, obviously, it's been in the, the media, a couple of players saying that they think it should be female and to help promote more female coaches within the game um, as a role model, that would be good as well. But again, I kind of don't think you can signal, single that out. I think it's um, you can't say it just has to be female because we're females. I've had male coaches at club level 
Um, and you know, I you can you can gain from them just as much experience from my point of view. Be nice to see some women coaching men, though, wouldn't it? On the other hand, um, well, yeah, he, possibly in the future, but I think there's more barriers that need to be broken down for that to happen. Mo Marley has been in the job since Sampson left. What? Why is she not a viable candidate to have the job permanently? Well, for me, I would have liked to have seen someone like her because she has been in the game for a long time, and you know, shows that she's had the passion. And you could argue, has Phil Neville got that? Is it? Is he just going to look to improve his CV for the next job going on after that? Is, or is he really going to try and promote and build the women game and have the passion that someone like Mo Marley has? But you can see that she's done such a great job at the youth level and maybe that's her um, kind of niche and what she's really good at. And, it, and I'm not sure if she's shown, certainly in the interviews I've seen, how that she really, really wants it and wants to you know, take that kind of media scrutiny that I said earlier, which I do feel has gone up a notch compared to certainly what, Hope would have had to handle and um, certainly me as a player when I was the captain. Next up for the Lionesses, it's the wonderfully named She Believes Cup in which they're facing France, Germany and the USA. How seriously is that competition taken, Faye, and how are England going to do? Yeah, well, it's very seriously taken by obviously the players and the staff and um, it's a great opportunity um, to test themselves against the best nations. So you want to be able to do that in a, in a kind of more friendly tournament to be able to test certain other players um, and different strategies that you might want to use in a more competitive tournament. But uh, when I was playing, we played in the Algarve Cup and different kind of cups that didn't have. We always want to pitch yourself against the Germans or the French or the Americans. And knowing that each year that is a good base for the coaches to be able to test you know, themselves, but also the players up against, it's only going to help any new faces we should be looking out for in the England team for that competition? Well, yeah, there's uh, obviously Nikita Paris is coming on really well, isn't she? Um, uh, for club and for country. And Kira Walsh had, had a kind of debut under, under Mo as well. Um, so she's always been quite impressive. One of those kind of just consistent players that does well uh, for club. I mean, Mo will have a whole host of young players that she's seen and knows who can do well. But yeah, I think it's just about giving them more experience and giving them that game time. Good stuff, Faye. Thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Time for your Hero of the Week, and we will stay resolutely Premier League by naming Eden Hazard as this week's hero. A lovely gesture on Saturday after Chelsea's win over Brighton, spotting a young fan in the crowd who'd made a sign saying, Hazard, can I please have your shirt? Hazard found him after the game and made his dream come true. A marvellous touch from the Belgian, although I cannot in good conscience condone the fact that the young fan was in the Brighton end. What's wrong with Lewis Dunk's shirt? Miles, which player's shirt would you have been coveting as a young fan? Can I just say that footballers do this a lot and it was so nice that the cameras actually picked up on it because a lot of footballers get quite a bad rap. But a lot of them do it and, and will walk into the crowd to find people to do it. So um, when, when I was a kid, uh, I would have loved to have had Luther Blissett's shirt. I mean, Luther was a complete hero to me as a player. And I say was because he's still a hero to me now as a man. I'm very lucky that I've got to meet him a lot of times and would regard him now as a friend. But he still never offered me a shirt. And I have a lot of shirts from other people. So, you know, Luther, come on, give us one of your shirts. He lent his name to an Italian art collective, but he can't find a shirt for you, man. Yeah, very, no, it's very terrible. disappointing. That's your lot for this episode of Total Football. I do hope you've enjoyed yourself. You are welcome to contact me on Twitter at Tom with an H Gibbs before next week's episode. We'll be back with you on Sunday night, released into the world in time for your Monday morning commute. 
only one way to make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and you can leave us a lovely review on iTunes too if you're feeling generous head to mergerecords.com to buy music by Polvo the top band behind our theme music thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company I'll talk to you again soon The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust Specialist Fund Managers If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.